ready for the intro. Sorry, what are you doing, Joe? Getting my voice ready for the intro. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Podcast of the Planet of the Apes. Today's episode is... Episode 6, Making Apes. All right. Uh, hi, this is Andrew. And this is Joe. And welcome to uh, Podcast of the Planet of the Apes. Today, we are taking a slight detour from what we've been typically doing the last few episodes, which is um, reviewing the movies, both with new people new to the franchise, as well as Joe and I just rewatching some of these classic films. This week, we're going to kind of dive into the making of Planet of the Apes, as well as the history that this film has made. We watched a pretty cool documentary called Making Apes, The Artists Who Changed Film. This is from 2019. I thought there was a lot of really cool, interesting things in there. Uh, it was a full-on documentary directed by William Conlon and featured a lot of the makeup artists that were involved in the original Planet of the Apes, as well as archive footage of original designers. I have this on Blu-ray, but Joe, you watched this on Tubi? Yeah, this is actually available for free on Tubi as well. You do have to sit through some ads, but it's really great. It's fantastic to be able to access this any possible way you can. Yeah, so uh, we are not promoted by Tubi. Tubi is a streaming service uh, that has a ton of weird shit on it. Which I have a lot to talk about uh, just, just <laughs> yeah. from just from typing in the word apes to find the documentary on there. There there's some some gold that we need to we need to really get into and discuss at some point. Oh, I can't wait. So, yeah, to be T-U-B-I really cool. They have this documentary on there called Making Apes, the Artist who changed film. Oh, also, if you'd like to support purchasing the film, mm -hmm. uh, it is on sale right now on Voodoo. Oh, perfect. You can actually buy it digitally on Voodoo. Um, That's great. Yeah, I got the Blu-ray for my birthday, so I was like, oh, this is cool. I haven't even heard of this. And then uh, we found out that it's kind of all over the place. So, yeah, definitely give it a shot. So real quick, this film essentially kind of starts out kind of going through the history of film makeup. I mean, there was a lot that I kind of knew there, uh, like Lon Chaney, um, as well as like the Universal Monsters and... A lot of classic film makeup, the Wolfman, Frankenstein from like around the, the 30s to the 40s. And then the kind of the decline of science fiction into the 50s with B movies and then kind of the resurgence of it with Planet of the Apes. So, Joe, what, 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 did, what was your kind of history with like classic film makeup, if any? <laughs> yeah, if any, I do love. The original Frankenstein, I think it's a fantastic movie. Uh, the Wolfman, oh, yeah. Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. All of those I always love to watch. The Mummy. Mm -hmm. And watching this documentary and seeing like about these visual effects artists who actually were actors first. Yes. Which is all was kind of really interesting. And I did make a parallel. I was like, it was kind of like Clayface. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like the like one of the first things that I was thinking of. Like, oh, Basil Carlo. It's kind of like Clayface, like actor turned makeup effects artist and right and uh, and all that. So I was like, OK, this is I think is the main reason why they got Ron Perlman to voice Clayface in Batman, the animated series, because there's a dude that is consistently covered in makeup. That's true. They do cover him up a lot. Um, 
also making parallels. Guillermo del Toro was in this documentary. So many great uh, people in there. There's a there's a movie that uh, that came up that I feel like we should actually watch and and talk about at some point called Monkey Talks from 1927. I saw that. Yeah, let's do it. The whole thing is on YouTube. It's a silent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, called The Monkey Talks, and it's silent. But the makeup just from the pictures looks pretty amazing. Cool for the for the time. So I, I can't wait to actually check that out. It looks like it could be could be a lot of fun. Yeah, and we we could do it as a whole silent podcast too. Uh, that's not a good idea. Yeah, podcasts are traditionally a uh, audio medium. So I don't know if we really want to do it as a as a silent podcast. We can circle back to that. So yeah, there there was some like really really interesting people that was in this documentary. Uh, some names that you might recognize, Joe. You already mentioned Guillermo del Toro. Leonard Malton was in this, Joe Dante, Richard Donner, Dana Gould, John Landis, just to kind of name a few. There was some some kind of heavy hitting names, uh, especially in film history, discussing the influence of Planet of the Apes. And what I think was a really great Rod Serling impersonator. Okay, I wrote terrible Rod Serling impersonator. Oh, really? I thought he was really good. I, I don't know. I thought I thought he was really good. It is literally my third note. <laughs> <laughs> and it says terrible Rod Sterling impersonator. Uh, I, don't know. I, th- I thought he was actually good. I thought he did a good job. All right. Well, listener, uh, if you do decide to <laughs> venture and and give this movie a shot, please, please let us know in the comments if they were a terrible Rod Sterling impersonator or a great Rod Sterling impersonator. You know where we stand. <laughs> it's very divisive. Kind of going back into the history of this, and, and we've kind of discussed some of this in past episodes, especially the first episode that there was a screen test in 1966 for Planet of the Apes, kind of testing to see if this makeup was even doable. It it impressed so well that the studio decided to move ahead, but there there was a lot of history with the fact that Charlton Heston helped really kind of push this film ahead. Fox was not in a good spot, so they were really taking a risk with Planet of the Apes. Yeah, they, they even mentioned it. $2 million gamble. Right at the outset. I think they knew what they had. They had such a a brilliant script and they had someone attached like Heston. But it really did kind of all fall down on whether or not they could make it believable with that makeup. I think they definitely did what they were uh, reaching out to do. The main makeup artist of the original Planet of the Apes is a John Chambers, who has done so many different films uh, throughout his career, he really kind of pushed forward the style and the template that Planet of the Apes was kind of going for. And then there was his apprentice at the time, Tom Berman, who also has kind of pushed the industry forward in a, in a lot of different ways. And we'll kind of get into that in a little bit. Well, that was the insane thing about with the documentary, right? You had yeah, uh, John Chambers. He, he used to be a facial like he did facial prosthetics mm-hmm. in the 40s. And then he's like, you know what, let's become a makeup artist. And he, he, you know, put his, you know, put his time in on that and became this super famous makeup artist who, as you said, did tons and tons of work. Mm-hmm. And when they mentioned that, like Hollywood actually, Hollywood makeup became a family owned business. Yeah, I thought that was cool. That's insane. Talking about uh, Westmore. Mm-hmm. That name I wasn't familiar with for a long time until a show came out called Face Off. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, that show is I think still running. So I like I became very familiar with that name just because of that and then I you know didn't realize that Tom Byrne and like Burnham he he's like a whole studio and that was also a family-owned business and like it's crazy to think that Hollywood makeup was like a lineage rather than just like random makeup artists. One of the first 
names that really, really popped out at me was when they're like, oh, yeah. And Stan Winston was working for them. And I'm like, wait, a huge name within at least modern film. I thought that was just kind of really cool films that he has done. And maybe one of the best puppetry work in films is the 1982's The Thing. That's why I know that name. Just insane. Did Jurassic Park, did a bunch of other stuff. Oh, Monster Squad. I mean, like that is like a as close as we're going to get to classic movie monster makeup. So, yeah, like the fact that that all lineage goes back to Burnham and Chambers is, is insane. Going back to Chambers and the style in which he would design the makeup, he was very uh, methodical. That's the word methodical. Yes. So he was very methodical. I even have this written down that he designed the makeup to be like a paint by numbers. Yes. Yep. So this way, the other makeup artists that were working on Planet of the Apes would not put their own touches to the apes themselves, that they had to be in his style, essentially. Which is awesome. Which is great. It, it really kind of shows that, you know, the apes do look uniform. If we had 15 different makeup artists, you know, doing their own version of an ape, they wouldn't look like they're from five different movies. Yeah, which is which is nuts. And the the other fact that the artists never some of the artists or most of them never mm -hmm. did prosthetics before oh my god almost none of them yeah they were like i've never touched it i've never done it like that's nuts it's so cool like it, it it really shows you that they were really making this film at like the edge of their seat um, it was a gamble the script was insane the the title is insane to begin with so it was really them kind of pushing the boundaries and seeing what they could get away with and it worked out in the end it was really kind of neat seeing footage of the movie theaters showing planet of the apes and seeing like the lines of people outside because it, it really does kind of remind you of like star wars and stuff like that like i remember when the the prequels started coming out we always talk about the prequels on this podcast when the prequels started coming out i just remember like the footage on like conan o'brien with like triumph the insult comic dog like interviewing people and just i just always remember lines and lines and lines of people just waiting to go see those movies and that's totally what was going on for planet of the apes back in the 60s well i remember being on some of those lines to be honest oh, with yeah you. same yeah <laughs> like so the movie came out in 1968 and i feel like even for that time just to have people on lines for a movie like might not have been normal but you know obviously we weren't born then we don't know we were, we're children we're millennials. We're <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just stopped you cold in your tracks. That's that. That was good. All yeah, right. You really, you really did. <laughs> um, you, you actually talked about the title, like, oh yeah, like they they took a gamble because like it was such an unknown thing, like that this sci-fi epic was going to be mm -hmm. was this huge, and the title, and they actually showed the uh, the original book. Yes. And the direct translation of that book mm -hmm. is Monkey Planet. Mm -hmm. So like they, they were working off of Monkey Planet. That's the <laughs> like. Which, first of all, that should have been the name of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I like the name of our podcast. Oh, but, so do I. Yeah, I, I like I like the name of our podcast. But yes, Monkey Planet. Secondly, though, we need to make a movie now called Monkey Planet. I'm sure you can find that on on Tubi. On Tubi, um, free things. Like I said, we will. Oh yeah, we're gonna totally touch down on some of those because uh, can't wait. Yeah, 
I'll get into that at the end of this episode. <laughs> Besides going into, I mean, it primarily focused on the makeup, but there was some pretty cool stuff about how Ape City was constructed, how it was only filmed pretty much in eight months at almost 16 hours a day. Oh, 100 degree weather. and 100 degree weather, yeah. Uh, I think one of the best things about this was Jerry Goldsmith, the uh, conductor, for the film they they actually show an image of it but in order to get the vibe and the style of the music uh when he conducted the orchestra he wore an eight mask i loved seeing that which is so cool <laughs> I was like that is that is phenomenal and like the eccentricness of yeah <laughs> hollywood is like right there that's oh, it 100 like, yeah i had to get myself <laughs> into this so i gotta put this ape mask on and i'm gonna conduct wearing this gorilla i think i saw a couple of the people playing yes they were yeah yeah, right it was in the background i'm like that's like that must be difficult too to play mm-hmm. like a, a clarinet or uh <laughs> or play something while wearing that while wearing that makeup. you know what i would love to see somebody in a cornelius costume playing a uh, saxophone kind of like a like a lost boys kind of style oh man i'd be totally into that yeah that'd be amazing. i mean i'm always I'm always into a Lost Boys style saxophone solo. They they need to do like what the Ninja Turtles did in the 90s. Oh, no, no. <laughs> shell only with Planet of the Apes. Let's make it happen. Let's get that funded. Damn millennial. Uh, all right. So <laughs> such a piece of crap millennial. Such a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> real quick. I, I did want to mention that at the 41st Academy Awards at, at this point in time, the Academy Awards was not giving out awards for makeup outstanding makeup or or special effects or anything like that. But at the 41st Academy Awards, they did give an award to John Chambers for his work in film, kind of just showing how much of an influence and impact that he had. And it wasn't until I think the 80s until actual makeup artists were part of the... It was 1982. 1982 were part of the Academy Awards. So huge gap there but the fact that they had recognized him so early on really kind of shows just how uh, forward pushing this film was oh 100 100 and even even the other thing too is like even some of the actors stayed in their costumes even though they were like 100 degrees because of how long it took mm-hmm. most likely but uh, the interesting thing i found about like maurice evans that he would uh he would play chess <laughs> with some of the makeup artists in full costume. Like, could you imagine sitting there with Dr. Zayas across from you and you're playing chess with Dr. Zayas? No, I, I, I assume that he would beat me no matter what I would do. Very much so, yes. Yeah, I mean, and that's where our uh, our podcast logo comes from is a picture of uh, Roddy McDowell on set wearing sunglasses drinking awesome. <laughs> a drink with a straw underneath an umbrella because they couldn't take that makeup off there's so many different layers to it there's the initial layer which is kind of like a paint and then there's the layer of the snout and then a layer of the uh the bottom hinge of the jaw then there's the layer of hair that which is made from real human hair i wasn't sure if i heard that correctly no you totally it. heard that okay. correct yeah, that was yeah real wow. human hair black straight hair which they said was one of the worst things to work with and to style i can imagine well that's that's actually kind of interesting and weird because you know human hair i think it's because of how it was placed onto them so like you see them like place the hair in patches along like the sides of their faces and then there's just so much of it on the top of their heads that they have to slick back 
Um, yeah, very true. Yes. That was kind of nuts to kind of learn that it was actual human hair. I love how they talked about how Roddy did his nose twitches. Because that's oh one of my, my favorite things about Roddy McDowell in these movies. Yes. He's really putting everything into his facial tics. He's he's yep. making it seem like, yeah, you know what? This is something that an ape would do. And But I'm like an ape humanoid, so I want to mix it together. And mm-hmm. that they revealed like his ability to do it. it. It should just move because it's on his face. But then you realize when you watch this documentary, like you said, how many layers are on there. So it must be difficult to do. And then to see the, uh, the young man who played his son had to... Get it out of uh, Roddy <laughs> how to uh, how to do those facial tics. And says, well, just make sure you have them hollow out your nose appliance. And they just like that. That's yeah, that's pretty awesome. Like you have to hollow it out. That way your nose has the freedom to move and you mm-hmm. can still do all those facial twitches and everything. You're going to be in a chair every day starting at like 5 a.m. These people are going to be putting the makeup on you. And if you're an actor and you have an idea of something that you want to do that's unique to your character you're definitely going to start having that conversation with the person that's putting the, your makeup on. So what I thought was really kind of cool about that was it was a secret to Roddy McDowell. No one else knew how to do that, how to twitch their nose, because no one else really kind of thought of that and no one else asked for it. It blows my mind that they didn't give that to all the apes, Yeah, but it totally makes sense if you know he's with one craftsman building on his face every day that they would kind of come up with their own style and unique way of doing it without painting out of the paint by numbers. It totally works. And it was really kind of cool to, to hear how uh, the actor who played his son. Oh, it's Bobby Porter, by the way, Bobby Porter, Bobby Porter. Thank you. Uh, Bobby Porter kind of got him to give him that information because he was like, we need to have a common trait as father and son. Good idea. Like, like the, the fact that he had the foresight to, think of something like that was was pretty good (laughs) (laughs) really good idea and then after the release of planet of the apes they kind of talk about how fox was really surprised by the success of the sequel and that at this point there weren't many other franchises maybe the only other franchise that was as successful was james bond yeah yeah because i i've been trying as our series goes on and I've been trying to think of other franchises that were big around the same time that was science fiction, but there really wasn't anything else science fiction. But yeah, James Bond was totally the closest thing to apes in a successful movie series that was consistently coming out almost year after year, which is crazy to think about. (laughs) They do talk about the TV series a little bit and how they did help with that. And then they kind of go into how... Afterwards, Chambers and Berman created their own company and that they started working for the CIA. Did you know this story? Because I did know this. I actually like I knew a little bit because of that movie Argo that had come out. Right. I never saw Argo. I only knew of this because of Jack Kirby. So Jack Kirby, famous comic book artist uh, for Marvel and then later DC. He did all the designs for the the fictional film in Argo. Oh, wow. Really? So I remember seeing some of those designs and stuff because they totally look like the new gods. So I had known of that. And then I had known that there was some pretty credible makeup artists involved. I didn't realize it was these guys. (laughs) Which is nuts. And and Chambers, like he stayed on for a long time, they said. Yes. Doing that while while Burnham kind of just like went away from it like he, he didn't really want anything to do with that but 
Chambers was was with it for <laughs> for a long. Chambers eventually makes Berman uh, buy him out of the company by lying about having cancer. It's just shitty thing. There's some really weird stuff in, the, in this documentary. It was such a shitty thing. Yeah, he seemed like a, a very uh, eccentric fellow. Berman starts his own studios, and that's when Stan Winston comes in. That's when they pushed 1982 to have uh, hair, uh, to have makeup part of the Academy Awards. I didn't realize that he had worked on Cat People. He worked on Scrooge, Goonies. Yes, Scrooge and Goonies and um what you know speaking of chambers being like an eccentric like one of my favorite things hearing was like how he called tom burnham a lunchbox <laughs> yeah. i was like was that an insult back then like oh you're just a lunchbox like uh yeah it's it's a a a person or object consistently at one side in a manner of a lunchbox in british slang it's the male genitals when enclosed in clothing in Asia, it's a lunch packaged in a disposable box to be taken away to eat. Well, that's not really. Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's everywhere. Thank you, Wiktionary. Thank you very much. Good, great. No, so now we know that was an insult for the time. I'm going to start calling people lunch boxes. I think from now on, I'm going to bring it back. It's coming back. So, like, essentially, like Robin is Batman's lunch box. Let's not say that. <laughs> but no but that's correct that is true. he's, that is true, he's yeah. a person or object consistently at one side as well as male genitals when enclosed in clothing oh yeah okay yes yeah okay <laughs> so we we kind of just glossed over something with the the second film oh no i, I wanted to get into that because th there's some the more okay the more we get into this podcast the more respect i have towards the second film i don't like it but I definitely, definitely respect, respect it. it more. <laughs> but <laughs> the one thing I can actually really uh, that I took away from the documentary when it came to the second movie is mm -hmm. I loved the grotesque makeup choices that they showed. Yes. I wish they went with the like the heavily disgusting grotesque and not just go into the Grey's Anatomy book and say, oh, yeah. There's the muscle tissue and there's the, you know, the, but I, I see why they did it. They did it so they could pull away their pull away their human faces. It makes sense. We're, we're talking about the, the mutants in Beneath the Planet of the Apes and uh, the designs for them and how they should have looked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that, just that grotesque, like some of those design images they showed were like horrific. It was like a horror movie. That uh, kind of segues real quick into John Landis who discusses being on on the Fox set as a kid, kind of hanging out and seeing all the original designs. And that kind of brings us over to just kind of segueing here on the YouTube. There's a YouTube series called uh, Trailers from Hell, in which John Landis kind of talks about different movie trailers. And we actually posted one on our Twitter when our previous episode came out of Battle of the Planet of the Apes, because John Landis is in that. And we we, we discussed that very briefly, I think. Oh, yeah, it was it was a very like quick thing because yeah. he plays a character that mostly got cut out. <laughs> right. Because we were like, where the hell is he? He's in it, but he's not. So he he did the series called Trailers from Hell. I'll, I'll put the link uh, in our description this week about pretty much the first, the second, the fifth Planet of the Apes. Right. He kind of skips to that one. He does. He skips right over to the one he was in. Quote unquote. Really kind of an interesting point of view 
of those films from someone that really didn't have a lot to do with it, but was at least there during the making. And both in this documentary and in the trailers from hell, he talks about how beneath the planet of the apes, the designs for the mutants were just so much better that were left on the cutting floor. Yeah, exactly. And it's so true. <laughs> 100%. But like they, I, and I love how they started going into the third film and how it like kind of blew open the franchise. Like, yes. Uh, Cause you know, with the second film, it kind of like, it kind of ends the franchise a little bit. Right. Which is what Heston wanted. Heston didn't want to do the second film. He had only filmed the contract was, he would only be there for one week. And essentially he didn't want to be in any more of these movies, even though this dude pushed and pushed for the first film. I think he just didn't want to get tied down to a franchise. He essentially was like, all right, I'll, I'll do the second one, but we got to blow the planet up. And he does. So I'll give him that. <laughs> His hand almost looks like a monkey's paw when he does it. As he's touching the Kryptonian crystals to blow up Earth. I, I do like how much love everyone kind of gives the third and the fourth film. <laughs> Oh, they really do. Because they're good movies. Oh, legitimately, yes, 100%. So I thought that was kind of neat. You know, there's that lapse of pretty much 25 years where there's no Planet of the Apes. There's the TV show, then there's the animated series, and then it just kind of goes dormant. And then they, they start discussing the remake of Planet of the Apes. And I had never seen the footage of Stan Winston doing the designs for his version of Planet of the Apes. And they look so freaking good. Oh, yeah. So I was like kind of floored by that. I'm like, how the hell did they not go with that? They went with another guy who's extremely talented. Baker, I believe it was. It was Rick Baker. Yeah, very, very good. But come on, give it to Stan Winston. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that movie in and of itself in 2001, they had James Cameron was supposed to do it. And oh, yeah. What wasn't he attached to, though, between this and Spider-Man and and so many other uh, films. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that, that is also true. When you think about it, it's like, huh? He was just like, you know what? Let me just tr let me put my name down first. <laughs> and then I'll decide. Then I'll decide if I want it. I, I really liked how they they went into a little bit of the remake and, and how they designed the apes and everything. But they did kind of just gloss over it. Well, they, they even they did say like it, it was not well received. Right. Like it. They they say it in the movie in the in the documentary like yeah the the newer movie was not well received and mm -hmm. you know it had a it had a pretty lackluster uh, reviews you know come out for it as well as that they they start kind of going into what Berman did afterwards he did a ton he did so much one thing that totally sticks out is the the pilot for Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, I totally see it now like <laughs> oh, that's all that guy. <laughs> yeah, as well as uh, Nip Tuck, which I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. It was a TV show on FX early 2000s. Uh, not great. Not a, not a good show. I would catch it here and there if it was like on TV. Really gross like uh, surgery scenes and stuff that they would do. Totally makes sense that he did that. And they kind of go into how he kind of revolutionized makeup and design for television because he was just kind of cranking out everything so quickly because TV is a completely different beast from a film where you have eight months to film TV. You got to do 16 episodes and, you know, 16 weeks. You, you got to go kind of nuts. That was really kind of cool to see how he just got so much better and how uh, him and his wife worked together, who they met on Cat People, which is a really fucked up movie if you've never seen it. So um, great David Bowie song. 
so that was that was kind of cool to to kind of see that as, as we come to a close on the on the documentary right yeah you get to see somebody in a uh, in a Zayas costume uh put a rose on john chamber pretty sure that was dana gould was it yeah because i've seen him in that costume before and that oh, wow. totally looks like him as dr Zayas. i'm 99 percent sure that that was him well i love that i thought that was really cool and then what they did was they took the like the makeup artist now uh, and i even think burnham was involved with this they took yeah they, they took lou wagner and made lucius in old age makeup which yeah was so awesome to see like that's so cool like to see what he would look like in old as an older as an older ape and i'm like wow they really did such a good job like it looks so good <laughs> and i going back to our first episode when we when we discussed lucius uh, who's only in the first film we were kind of talking about like how his voice sounds like a fake kid mm-hmm. that dude now as an older man still sounds like a fake kid yep oh yeah like his voice is just naturally a high child's voice correct so apologies (laughs) apologies to to lou wagner now i would just love to see another rendition of like a true direct sequel Mm -hmm. where that's a thing yeah i i'm sure at some point we will get something along those lines you know how they kind of do like the the terminator movies or stuff like that where they kind of ignore three of the sequels oh well and they just do a sequel to something I would not be shocked if we get that with Planet of the Apes at some point where they do a straight up sequel to the original film or to the second film. That'd be so cool. Where it kind of spins off into its own direction. But they have to use like classic makeup, though. Like that's Yeah. Oh, no, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, like if you're going to go that route, you got to go with the classic makeup. They do discuss the modern trilogy and some of the makeup artists, they're kind of annoyed that it actually looked pretty good. Um, yes. Yeah. But there is, it, it's definitely a different style of filmmaking. Oh, 100%. And there's definitely that classic Hollywood vibe to the prosthetics of the original films that really kind of stands the test of time. Cause I don't know about you, but I love Andy Serkis and watching the Lord of the Rings movies. Now Gollum mm-hmm. doesn't look, as good as we once originally thought he looked. You know what I mean? Okay, yes. He doesn't look as good. As good. No, I'm not saying he looks bad. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, like, remember when those movies first came out and we're like, this is insane. Oh, yeah. You watch it now and you're kind of like, oh, that's good. <laughs> like, It's not like great. It's not like the Jurassic Park dinosaurs that are a mixture of both. But it's good. So I, I just kind of think that over time, I'm curious to see how the Planet of the Apes films, the modern ones hold up as opposed to the original ones, which will, I think, stand the test of time, especially the first three uh, in the designs of the apes themselves. Well, I mean, most most things with practical effects do stand that test. I mentioned earlier the thing. I think the thing stands up. Thing stands up like crazy and alien a- alien. Oh, my God. Alien predator. Hellboy. Hellboy for me, and you know, because Guillermo's in this documentary, Hellboy for me is like one of my favorite comic book movies. And I'm not talking about the new one that just came out. I'm talking about the one by Guillermo del Toro. What new one? Okay, yes, we'll do that. Yep, let's <laughs> let's do that. Let's ignore that one. The, those two movies, and with all the practical effects they used, like insane. 
oh yeah insane insane stuff some of the more recent uh Guillermo del Toro films that are using CG he still kind of bases his characters on practical effects so you look at uh, Pan's Labyrinth or you know Shape of Water those characters really stand out because of the practical effects oh yeah and I gotta say I'm uh, and I know I'm, I'm like jumping around a little bit here which tends to happen. But when, when I saw that they went to like a convention, right, there was like an apes convention yeah. that they went to or a sci-fi convention. Some of those cosplays were like right up there <laughs> with the, yeah, the cosplays were really good and they were all like handmade. Yeah. Like the, the makeup and everything there like was phenomenal. And like, you know, some of these people like, yeah, I felt like I was 12 years old again. And those are like even people that grew up watching mm-hmm. it when it first came out, essentially mm-hmm. uh, making some, amazing special effects makeup yeah so i i think if if anything while we're in quarantine we gotta start making some ape masks oh my god I, you know what i don't even know if i could <laughs> uh get some construction paper <laughs> do a paper mache yeah paper yeah. mache do a paper mache. um bringing it back for you brandon <laughs> so yeah i i think overall you can both really recommend watching this film uh it, it was even if you have kind of weighed back and forth on the planet of the apes throughout this podcast but you're interested in the history of film it's totally worth it to check it out definitely i 100 agree 100 agree there there's no reason not to check this out if you enjoy film yeah so yeah that, that that's gonna wrap us up on making apes but uh we do have a I guess, mini bonus episode, which uh, we'll introduce. Here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the bonus episode of Podcasts of the Planet of the Apes, episode six. This bonus episode is... Bonus episode, Shockma. Yeah, so we watched the 1990 classic film, Shakma. Is it a classic? It's from 1990. It doesn't make it a classic even if it's from 1990. Okay, I... let's, let's just, uh, in case you're not familiar with this classic 1990 film, Shakma. Still going to call it a classic. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Let's <laughs> Directed by uh, Tom Logan and uh, Hugh Parks. This classic 1990 film stars young Christopher Atkins, uh, hot off the press from uh, Blue Lagoon, and <laughs> <laughs> right on the heels of Blue Lagoon and, and Blue Lagoon too. Yeah, and a oh no, that, that's that's much later. Uh, and a man and Amanda Weiss, hot off the press of Nightmare on Elm Street. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh yeah, yep, yep. I have no one who pointed that and out. And then uh, <laughs> starring none other than Roddy McDowell is the 1990 classic film Shakma. So in this 1990 classic film of Shakma, a wild animal attacks people trapped in a large tower. Is the IMDb line for it? It's it's only at 5.1 stars out of 10. I don't know why. It's a 1990 classic. Hold um, on a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> that's the the <laughs> the summary a wild animal attacks people trapped in a large yeah i, I just went to imdb i just could uh-huh. not i thought i didn't even know i thought that's something you had just made up before you said that it was on IMDb. okay there's so many things wrong with that blurb for this film oh well, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. 100%. So real quick, let's let's kind of let's break it down now. Um, first of all, I don't know if anyone else out there has seen uh, Mazes and Monsters, which is a cautionary tale about the dangers of D&D. <laughs> starring a young Tom Hanks uh, in a starring role, I think right after Bosom Buddies. So like he's really making a name for himself at this point. And in Mazes and Monsters, it's it's about how uh, playing D&D, you can lose control and lose your minds and eventually someone will, might die or be close to dying. It's a great film. I don't want to spoil it. Please go and watch it. Uh, <laughs> I think that might be on Tubi as well. It is. It is on Tubi. Today's episode is sponsored by Tubi. I'm going to reach out to them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, classic film. I think Shakma kind of takes parts of that and really kind of shows the real dangers of D&D. So in this film, we have a group of, of medical students that decide that in order to harness their brains power that they're going to play a live action D&D game in their uh, medical building at night and that their professor played by Roddy McDowell he is the dungeon master and he's going to run this entire thing from his state-of-the-art 1990 computer and everyone's going to be on walkie-talkies and they have to unlock rooms and solve puzzles and uh, get to the top and save the fair maiden Here's what happens. I kind of like the idea of of this actual game itself. Like, I do enjoy it. I would like that idea as well. Unfortunately, I know the perils and the dangers of what will happen. You just know that because of Mazes and Monsters. And Shakma, the 1990 classic film. So in Shakma, at the beginning of the film, we see the students as well as Roddy McDowell performing surgery on a baboon. We're bringing it back full circle. We haven't even told you that there's a baboon in this film. It's a straight up baboon. And Ronnie McDowell's performing surgery on it. Uh, they're putting a chip inside of it to see if they can control it for some reason. They really don't fully explain it. Well, according, once again, we're going to go off of IMDb Uh-oh. here because the, the plot scenario, uh, when it's in the movie itself, mm-hmm. is not the best. But it's an experimental drug that is supposed to reduce aggression has the opposite effect on a baboon that is being experimented on by a group of medical students. Wasn't there a microchip inside of him? I I don't recall a microchip. There might have been one. Okay, so this baboon goes (laughs) apeshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They decide that they're going to put him down. And so uh, Christopher Atkins, the main character of the film sam he uh injects shakma with morphine or a sedative to kill him apparently he doesn't give him the right stuff or he doesn't give him enough of it so shakma just goes to sleep at this point they're like hey let's put him in the incinerator and let's let's start anew but roddy is all like oh no 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 we i i want to do an autopsy or autopsy you know see what went wrong and everything like that and they're like yeah but it's friday and he's like oh i'll come in saturday then so they leave the dead ape near the incinerator. And then they go off and they play their game. Shakma is, of course, still alive and angry. At this point, you would think, okay, first of all, all right, hold up. <laughs> the blurb for this movie is a wild animal attacks people trapped in a large tower. There's like five floors on this building and that's it. Yep. Okay, cool. Just making sure. So on the fifth floor... <laughs> Oh, uh, they lock all the doors and everything for the game. So 
so this way no one can leave or get out because that makes sense. And everyone's on their walkie-talkies. Shockmo wakes up, kills an annoying dude in this one room that pretty much where Shockma stays almost the entire film. And one by one, these medical students keep going into this room and either getting attacked or killed. We haven't even mentioned the craziest part yet. Shockma is played by a real baboon. Oh, yeah, which is so upsetting. It's so upsetting. So Shockma is like a real baboon that's like howling and screeching and is constantly pounding on doors to get to people, uh, which we learned later on from the three trivia notes on IMDb, because there's really not much about this film, uh, was that the trainers were standing on the other side uh, calling its name to annoy it, to agitate it. So that's super nice. And the only way Shockma <laughs> kills people is it jumps at them, which you can clearly tell is just a shot of the baboon jumping for a hug. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then it's cut to a large fluffy puppet that you can't really tell what's going on. It just looks like a fluff ball that is killing the person on the floor. Well, not even just that. Like sometimes they'll throw the camera underneath it to show a different angle. Yes, and it's like a weird uh, puppet, <laughs> puppet with with, uh, with blood coming off of it. And the thing is just like freaking out most of the time. I also want to talk about the tagline for this movie, and there's uh-huh. only one: "The world's most aggressive primate just got mad." I'm sorry. Excuse me. The world's most aggressive primate just, just got, got mad. mad. Yep. Huh. The world's most aggressive primate just got got mad yep that's a great that's a great tagline i love that nowhere in the blurb or the tagline of this is anything to do about like medical students playing a game right which is like i feel like there was two movies in here where they're like hey let's do a sweet D film but also let's have a murderous baboon I mean, they like, yeah, they could have done a and d film where where like there's a psychopath in the building or anything, like a, a mental patient anything. because they're in a hospital setting. Or Tom Hanks goes crazy and becomes obsessed with the game and eventually is brought to a tunnel and, and thinks that he has to kill an actual monster. But he doesn't because it's just a far out game. So wait, now you're talking about Tom Hanks. and <laughs> <laughs> Please go watch Mazes and Monsters. So uh... I've seen Mazes monsters but for those of you at home who have never seen mazes and monsters yeah definitely check it out and also check out shakma uh, <laughs> yeah the classic 1990 film Shockma. yeah the classic 1990 film uh, i did have a lot of fun watching this oh, i will totally. say that it was a lot of fun what was more fun was i put it on and you didn't know what it was or who was in it and right from the get-go we get roddy mcdowell Oh, yeah. Like Roddy McDowell's like front and center. And he's the he's the professor. Um, at first, I like because you have no idea which way this is going to go. You, they're all talking about this game, right? Mm-hmm. They're all like, oh, and we're going to get involved with the game and the game. And you think it's going to be like almost like a cult film, like about a cult that does like crazy rituals, which is Dungeons and Dragons. Very true. You know, <laughs> It's about the you, dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but you don't think that it's going to be a killer ape movie at all. It's just so good. It's so bad. I would highly suggest it. I'm not going to tell you who makes it out, who doesn't, but it's worth it. Oh, I was about to spoil the whole thing. Uh, 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even do that. But I do absolutely love, though, is every time someone dies, they decide that they're going to move the body and they just are constantly moving bodies, <laughs> which is insane because a body is really, you know, it's got to be really heavy. It's dead weight. And you're trying to run away from this nimble baboon yeah. thing like this thing is nimble it's fast it's it's not like it's a slow moving creature no, it like literally like prances towards all of them and i'm using the word prance because that's what a baboon looks like it looks like it's joyfully prancing <laughs> at them yeah it, it's just uh, it's so bad it's so stupid it is but you know and at the same time like yeah of course there's always going to be people who who actually really enjoyed the the movie for what it is. No, I, I think on this one, I don't think we're going to find anyone. Are you sure? I don't know. I looked at some reviews from people. Uh-huh. Like, it, like somebody actually said, one of my favorites. <laughs> of the 1990 classic film, Shockma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, maybe they saw a different 1990 classic film, Shockma. Uh, Shockma, again, that's S-H-A-K-M-A. Please do yourself a favor and look that up on Tubi, which is free today on Tubi. T-U-B-I. <laughs> is it on Tubi? I don't know. <laughs> what on. did we watch it, it on? Is... We watched it on Amazon Prime? We, uh, You know what we did? It's on Amazon Prime. Shakma on Amazon Prime. And it's on Tubi. It is on Tubi? <laughs> it is. All right. So if you want to watch it for free and don't have an Amazon Prime account, go and check out Shakma, the 1990 classic film on either Tubi or Amazon Prime. We are not sponsored by either Tubi or Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, if you do want to sponsor us, give us that Bezos money. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, Shakma 1990. Now that we went through Shakma, and uh, at the, <laughs> in our last episode, I did talk about that. Uh, checking out, once again, on Tubi, T-U-B-I, Tubi, sponsor well, us. not really our last uh, episode. It's still part of this episode. It's still part of this episode. Uh, part of our part initial. One. Yeah. yeah, part one. Uh, I talked about that when I typed in the word apes on Tubi, mm -hmm. so much came up that we need to check out. And we will. There is a movie called Empire of the Apes. There is a movie called Revolt of the Empire of the Apes. Oh, man, I'm in. There is a mystery science theater episode called I know that one. Time of the Apes. That's a classic. That is a really yeah. good one. So uh, it's a Japanese ripoff of Planet of Hold the Hold up. Apes. Empire of the Apes is from 2013. Whoa. We are in. With that, just a couple things real quick. Huge, huge, huge shout out to Lily Aronowitz for our theme song. It's just the best. And I assume that he composed it while wearing an ape mask. It's the only thing I can possibly think of that he did. In fact, I will reach out to him and ask him what he was wearing. Yeah, don't even preface it with anything. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, what were you wearing? Yeah, just don't even just. Perfect. On top of that, guys, we are on iTunes. I believe that we are now also on Spotify. Oh, sweet. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it it takes a while for us to get okayed over there, but I believe we are now also on Spotify. Uh, we're also on a website called Podomatic, which we were like number two on the sci-fi list there for some reason, Woo! which is awesome. You know, if, if you want to check us out there, if you are checking us out on there, thank you so much. On top of that, please, I, I don't want to do this every week, but if you're enjoying the podcast, write a review, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your loved ones. Uh, we do this every two weeks and it's a lot of fun for us and hopefully you're enjoying it as well. So please write a review. If you want to write a nasty review, awesome. I think they're hilarious. 
preferably write a nice review. And if you do write a nice review, uh, we'll give you a shout out. Nice. Right? Yeah, I like that idea. I got I got I got a shout out on a on a Nintendo podcast once and it was a good feeling. Hey, hey you know, it feels good. You know what? We can uh, we can start right now. You know what? We actually do have. Go for it. We do have a really positive review, which came out on Friday. Oh, nice. I haven't even seen this. Go for it. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. So this is uh, from Smeghead the second. Um, I'm wondering if that is a Red Dwarf reference. It probably is. I do love that show. Uh, great show. Can't wait to hear more. A fun listen. My only issue is that I would like to hear about about other planets. Forbidden Planet. Treasure Planet. The Angry Red Planet. Planet Terror. Wow, this is really good. Dark Planet, The Phantom Planet, Red Planet. No, skip this one. It was terrible. Planet of the Vampires, The Brother from Another Planet. Yes, please. Planet 51, Planet of Dinosaurs, Women of the Prehistoric Planet, Journey to Planet X, just to name a few. More planets. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. I really. He gave us five stars. I love that. It's wonderful. <laughs> that is a phenomenal review. Oh, man. You know what? Maybe we could do a special thing and talk about just, other planets. Just planets. I, I yeah. yeah. Talk about the other planet films he's got here, like Forbidden Planet. Hey, you know what? Maybe some of these actually boil over into one another, like with actors and things. Uh, we should actually really, you know, take a look. Yeah, let's research and, the planets. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's half <laughs> of our name. That's awesome. Thank you. I love that. Thank you, Smeghead the second. That's awesome. That's great. So yeah, please, guys, if you want to give shout outs, if you got questions or anything like that, we'll totally answer them as best as we can. So if you got any questions regarding Planet of the Apes, uh, Shockma, the 1990 classic film, or anything like that, we'll totally try to answer those for you. With that, guys, you can always follow us online. You can follow me personally. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Major Plot Flaw. And you can follow me at Voices by Joe on Instagram. And I just realized my Twitter is at Azari Joe. Oh, just realized God, just Joe. I've been giving the wrong Twitter for a very long time. So someone out there with that Twitter name is getting all them likes. I know. I know. So, yeah, my my Twitter is at Azari Joe. And we could put that in the uh, in the show notes. <laughs> well, now I got to fix it. So probably. I don't know. Maybe. On top of that, guys, you can follow the podcast. You can follow the podcast at Pod Planet of Apes. That is on both Twitter and Instagram. Yes, sir. So with that, everybody, we are going to wrap this up with our classic catchphrase that we do every single week. Joe, take it away. You're just a lunchbox, kid. Just a lunchbox. Get out of here. I legit did not know where you were going to go with this since we didn't really watch like a film, film, film. <laughs> yeah, we fucking did it. Ha <laughs> ha.